Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach Riddle. I'm here with Laura Heck. We're also here together today with Dr. Shannon Curry. Shannon is one of the smartest people I know. As a clinician, she really gets it um, in the areas of clinical and forensic psychology. I love talking to her and picking her brain. I really thought she was the right person for us to talk to about a question that's been on my mind, which is, is grief a skill? Can you be good at it? We all understand grief. Grief is a thing that we all have to grapple with from time to time. There's capital G grief, which maybe has to do with the loss of something severe, a parent or a child or a dog or a job. And then there's the more sort of subtle lowercase g grief, which is about maybe the loss of, I don't know, the life that we wanted to live or the marriage we thought we were going to have. Laura and Shannon and I bat this around for a while, and I think it's uh, really valuable. Before we get started, though, I want to remind you once again about the workshop that Laura and I have coming up in the middle of May. I think this is the last week you can register with the early bird discount. Go ahead and visit marriagetherapyradio.com to get more information about that. We would love to have you. In the meantime, this is a very cool conversation. Stick around. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me, guys. What is a morning look like for you? What have you done already this morning at 9 a.m.? <laughs> that is a legitimate... You not want to know. No, I'm serious. What was your, Tell me about yesterday. What was yesterday like? It was apparently it was a crazy day for you. <laughs> you, uh, you are a good interviewer. I know, yeah. right? Honestly, because that is a rich question. Really? Well, what happened uh, yesterday? We're just in the ball rolling. We can leave out whatever we want, but I um. Well, no, I mean honestly, I it's I let me think. I'm literally having like my legal team download it in my head right now, and I'm thinking which things can I disclose? <gasps> yeah. Was it here? that juicy? Yeah. You had a juicy day. Yeah, it actually was, Ooh. and. I asked Zach if he had a crazy day because I have found, and I don't want to be too woo-woo oh, here. Oh, I love the woo-woo. Bring it on. I have found having a private practice for a long time now, there are these waves, right? You'll almost get, I mean, so you guys probably know, sometimes you'll get a bunch of intakes and you almost get the client confused because same demographic, same totally. age, same everything, same presenting problem. Yesterday was one of those days where it wasn't necessarily the clients were all the same. It was just a weird day of foibles, complications, problems, mm -hmm. some interpersonal stuff. 
the and you know Zach was saying uh, something about. I was saying he had this very Buddha mind idea of sort of just oh, it was, Laura and I were just from talking, the outcome. Yeah. Laura and I were just talking about that. Yeah. yeah. From outcome. Yeah. And that became the entire theme of the day. It was the theme in my sessions, detachment from outcome. It was the theme in handling the first thing I woke up to. It was the theme in handling the thing that came up at lunch. It, it just, there was a theme and I also, but I was wondering, did Zach have a weird day? Because sometimes I find other therapists not only do they understand how there are these waves and client demographics are presenting problems, but I've checked in with other therapists before and they're going through weird periods with clients or they're having complications in their practice. It just, there seems to be trends and mm -hmm. it might have to do with more of like macro society, mm -hmm. but there seems to be these ripple effects yeah. that hit us all around the same time. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Laura and I talk quite a bit sometimes about how especially me, I think you do a little bit like, well, I'll go through phases where I'm talking about the same thing for <laughs> yeah. a week or 10 days with clients. Zach like, latches on to like lectures and he's like, I got something I latch for on you to like today. a topic mm -hmm. and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this yeah, to death. Yeah, you are. For until it, <laughs> Dad used to do yeah, that. You know? until, it, until it gets worked out and it gets on paper and it becomes a chapter in his worked book. Worked out for me. Yeah. Until it gets worked out for me. Yeah, the clients walk away, they're like, like, I don't understand why we were talking 100%. about this today. This doesn't make any mm -hmm. sense in my life. But Zach felt it was important to talk about. Yeah. If it's poignant to Zach, it will be, I'm a psychologist because my dad did this. Mm -hmm. yeah. He really? was reading uh, Carl Rogers at the time and he was on a real Carl Rogers kick. Rogers, and he's I, unconditional positive regard. Is that that guy right yeah. yeah unconditional positive regard father of humanistic therapy you're so lucky that your dad mm -hmm. is unconditional positive regard for mm -hmm. well i mean he's you. not yeah. he was going uh -oh. through a kick <laughs> <laughs> i mean this was Let's literally out, the lecture Shannon. topic <laughs> <laughs> this was the lecture topic yeah. but the timing was amazing and he said why don't you study psychology and i mm -hmm. said okay Hmm. because he was going on this kick and he really was into the book i mean talking about it mm -hmm. but i literally asked him a question about how do you choose something and make that your calling, which is a privilege to do anyway, but mm -hmm. having this angst ridden sort of 20 some, I dropped out of Georgetown. I mean, every parent's dream. Oh no. And didn't know what I was going to do. Community college dropped out of pre-med, <gasps> but he just, he was on a psychology kick mm -hmm. he started talking about unconditional positive regard and self-actualization and it just sounded so compelling. Mm -hmm. I picked psychology. That's awesome. Yeah, right on. So those lecture points that you beat to death, yeah. I think they yeah. they can have benefit. Yeah. Well, I know how to get my kids to not become a psychologist. And that would be for me to say, how about, why don't you try psychology? That sounds and like they'd be a like, nope. plan for you. I'm going to go do <laughs> they cross that one the off. What's the opposite of psychology? I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. At least one of them. Anyway. What is the opposite? I don't What is the opposite of psychology? Hiding. Man. away. Numbing. I don't know. Psychology. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is if I say what I think like popped into my head, I feel like it'll be insulting to the people that I, that I just thought of. But, um, I don't know. I don't know. Like uh, we have a, we have a family motto, which is the world needs ditch diggers too. Mm -hmm. Like the world needs us all. We, we need, they need to have psychologists, need to have people who dig ditches. You need to have nurses and porn stars and you know, mm -hmm. everybody else under the sun to kind of make the right. world go around. So my I, husband loved digging know. growing up Yeah, and he's Australian and he talks about trade schools being so important and how he thinks it's it. incredible. I do. Yeah. They, you don't feel like a loser your whole life. You feel like there are things you're actually good at that make sense for you. Well, the other thing about that that I think is amazing is, uh, you, you done. 
Right. You go, you right. do your job, you dig your ditch and you're like, right. okay, that ditch is dug and now mm-hmm. I'm going to go. He loves it. Now I'm going to go he, throw the football or I'm going to go watch the thing. Yeah. And I'm not like, I carry around so much. He baloney. says he, exactly. He works to live. He doesn't live That's to right. work. We're complete opposites in that regard. Mm-hmm. And guess who's happier? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you, uh, do you have any, uh, do you have any athlete in you? Or are you an athlete? Why, why are you asking? I know, I'm well, really curious. Well, because Laura and I were just talking about, um, her triathlon training oh. and that there's, um, there's people who, who train to race and people who race to train yeah. kind of like what, uh-huh. what I race your to train. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, right. Laura loves the training. So she mm-hmm. picks a race mm-hmm. right? and she, tra- so I was just wondering if you knew that about yourself as well. I do. I do actually. So I, I had to do sports in boarding school. So I, when you ask that question, it's loaded because I absolutely we could get into the topic. I yeah. appreciate sports. I think they produce character and structure and, and are really important. But I really thrive the most in independent sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and if somebody tells me what to do also with a workout, I don't tolerate pain well if it's caused by somebody else. But <laughs> I can I can tolerate mm-hmm. so much pain if I'm pushing myself to do it. And I ran distances for a long time. And the only reason I could get into running, it was something I discovered in my twenties. I I would have never done it as a high school sport because it would have scared me to not have control over it Mm -hmm. or somebody else telling me how far. But when I was able to progress on my own, I loved it and I got obsessed, but I had to pick a race. I had to have something to kind of shoot for. Not that I ran fast in the race. I didn't care about a time. Yeah, you raced. I just had to, to have something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting point. I don't yeah. even know if I have, uh, if I even look forward to the race itself. Like, I don't think I'm really looking forward to the Ironman. Right. I just am really loving the You just the needed training. the thing. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But why? So, Lori, you can train with somebody else telling you what to do. It's the only, well, it's the accountability piece. So I will fail on myself every single time. So I have people that I will run with. And unless I have a group that's like, we're going to get together and the coach is going to tell us what we're going to do. I will get on the treadmill and I'll be like, Oh, that was a good mile. I'm, I think I'm done now. So I need somebody else to tell me or hold me accountable. Have you read any of, um, Gretchen Rubin's books? So she wrote, um, Oh, I really enjoy her writing. It's very approachable. She has one called the four tendencies and it talks about the motivation behind people. And I found out through reading that the tendency that I fall into is that I will give up on myself a hundred percent of the time. If I say, Hey, Laura, you're going to floss, you know, 90 days in a row, but nobody's 117. Zach's on 117 of flossing. Very proud of himself. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, by the time this episode comes out, I'll probably be like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to future trip, but I'm, yeah, today's. <laughs> so, look, check, look, check me out. Look. Oh, is that floss? That's awesome. And stretchings on there and the, meditation. No, 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 yeah. Okay. Anyway, but I'll give sorry. up. I like that. That's realistic. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I got 118 days of flossing, but no stretching and no meditation. <laughs> I get it. Anyway. Once you start flossing, it's kind of horrifying to realize you weren't flossing before. I'm not Maybe. a flosser. We've already discussed this on the podcast and everybody knows what our personal hygiene habits are. And we're, <laughs> it's not, it's not okay either way. 
Okay. Why did we have... I'm so sorry. Keep going. Oh, it's it's fine. It's just, uh, I like the book because it does describe like, what is your motivation? And for me, it's not letting other people down. If somebody else is waiting or is holding me accountable, then I will show up and I'll do the work, but I will let myself down every day all the time. So really, yeah, it's an interesting, that's book. so healthy and pro social. <laughs> I mean, to me, that seems like the more balanced way to be that I would expect nice, healthy people to be. I have a, a guess that Zach is probably more in line with my sort of motivators internally or motivated. opposite motivators. Somebody telling you to do something being the opposite of yeah. motivating. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Like I don't, I'm not, um, I was thinking about, I hope they don't ask me what, what my, where I am in this. Cause I'm actually, I think it's different than I've always been. I think for me right now, it's about cracking the code. Like the only reason I would go running is to see like, could it be done or could I replicate exactly. X or that's um, how I started running. Yeah. Can or, I do this thing that I didn't think I could do? Or like, if I'm going to play on a team, can I make the team better, but not in the way they think it's kind of, right. kind of the way that I, <laughs> kind of the way that I would approach it. And that sometimes is annoying because I'm, I've still been running my own agenda, but that's, I need my brain engaged somehow, you know? I think so. That's what I was hearing there. It's gotta be almost like an academic challenge, an experiment. Yeah, totally. I didn't, I got um, that. So Zach, well, you listen, wanted to have, <laughs> yeah, on the, you want to have a podcast yeah, or I you know, just want right? to talk about like whatever. Yeah. Well, um, we needed to catch up for a second cause it's been a bit. Hey gang. Just wanted to give you another reminder about these seven principles workshop that Laura and I are doing in May. It's coming up on May 12th and 13th. We'd love to have you. Um, it's a great opportunity to revisit the principles and practices of the Gottman body of research. You can uh, do it on a weekend or Laura has her weekly uh, workshop series that's going to go on. I think they're on Wednesday nights and we'd love to have you join us. Um, you don't have to take my word for it though. Just have a listen to what we heard from one of the couples that was with us in our last event. Hi, how's it going? This is Mike. Jessica Marshall. And we attended Zach and Laura's marriage therapy weekend. And uh, I would highly, highly recommend it. Jessica and I had a great time, felt like we reconnected. We've been together for almost 10 years. And I feel like this has kind of brought us back to a honeymoon stage a little bit. Jess, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. And I think since the workshop and even before that, like we've been listening to podcasts. And since the workshop, we've even just been sharing with our friends and family, you know, different things that we learned from the workshop and some of the things that stood out to us. Some of the things that Zach Zach said over the weekend about repair is more important than the resolve and making sure that when you're in a fight that marriage and your happiness stays at the forefront. I think our favorite part is, uh, I think after that first three hour session, Jessica and I actually sat together and we ugly cried with each other. And I think a lot was forgiven from our past and marriage. And I'm just really happy that we can, uh, we had this weekend together where we could share things with each other, find out things about each other we didn't know. And uh, Zach and Laura facilitated a great program. It was fun doing things with the other couples and actually uh, doing workshops type things. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And we, to be honest with you, we talked about doing the same uh, workshop over again just to kind of get closer with each other so we appreciate it thanks zach and laura thank you zach and laura thank you so much so yeah we would love to have you friday night's a little bit like a date night it's a lot of fun we laugh a lot saturday we jump into things a little bit more seriously to help uh, manage some, some of the more challenging parts of the relationship but all together it's a real benefit we love you we love it you'll love it hope you'll join us the next one is may 12th and 13th 
You can register by the end of April to get the early bird discount. Again, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you because I've been wanting to talk about this topic for a while. And okay. I needed, I knew I needed to have somebody that actually like knew about it beyond the Google. Um, and it's grief, right? It, and this is coming up in so many places because I think, A, of course you're going to grieve when your dog dies or your mm -hmm. dad dies or, you're or you get divorced or you have some kind of pandemic, global pandemic that you're trying to emerge from or whatever. But I also just felt like there, it, this is my question. And I told Laura, I was going to pop the question on you both at the same time. Cause I really want to start here, which is, is grief a skill? I think so. This is, I'm trending toward this. I'm trending in this direction. Laura, do you know what you think? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I, mean, I do. Um, yes, I do think it is a skill. Mm -hmm. Cause I know I'm talking to people well, all the time about, you mean, I mean, so the experience of grief, happened, but right. you mean sort of managing it? Well, I don't know. I think, I think what I, what I tried to tell somebody the other day was they were, um, they were talking about the end of their relationship and, uh, and kind of the end of the dream that they had. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a problem. It's, it's, mm -hmm. but it's also a skill. Like grief can be a skill. And this is where, like, I think that has to uh -huh. challenge the natural or sort of the, the temp typically understood uh, sort of profile of grief, which is it's in stages and they're, they're, those stages are linear and they go like this. And at the end you'll right. find acceptance. And I'm like, no, but what if you're really good at bargaining or you're really good at depression? So I don't know, this is, I wanted to plant that seed and mm. then just like talk about it for a while, because I, I think people need permission to think about grief in ways that maybe they haven't yet. I would love to start by saying that the stages of grief have been completely debunked. So that okay. that's a theory that was a theory. Was that um, Elizabeth Kugler Ross or something? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. And, and it's lovely. And I think it, it helps to set a framework for people to understand that grief can look differently Agreed. for different people. Yeah. But I don't think, I mean, so what we actually know, what the research has actually shown is that there is not a linear progression, as you said, mm -hmm. for most people, some people may experience certain aspects of grief. Some people may experience a massive loss, death of a spouse, a divorce, and actually not go through what we might define as grief. And that's normal too. So I would say the number one message is that grief can look different for different people. There's no one way to do it. And I really would love for people to uh, not reference a very outdated idea about these stages of grief mm -hmm. because it's just not accurate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, was her theory that you move from one stage to the next to the next in a linear fashion? Right. Okay. Right. But so what we take from that is it's not a linear fashion, but the different stages of grief, it just opens up the perspective that there are, everyone experiences grief differently and you may mm -hmm. evolve into an, an experience of grief over time that looks different from what you were originally at a month ago, two weeks ago, last mm -hmm. night, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or you may not. Okay. <laughs> but I, but I would say there are some common features. So I think, I mean, Zach, you said something really, I think profound about what your client was saying, and it was incredibly insightful of your client to identify that a lot of times, uh, I mean, so depending on what the grief is associated with a death or the loss of a relationship, there is usually an existential loss. So 
our dreams died, mm-hmm. right? All those dreams I had, all those plans I had, mm-hmm. they're gone. Mm-hmm. But then there are other aspects of grief, like just the absolute feeling of a lack of someone, a, a lack of somebody's spirit, of somebody's energy, and, and that kind of continued emptiness as you cope with life without someone. And specifically here, I'm thinking more of death mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just the bleakness of that. Mm-hmm. When you were saying grief is a skill, I was thinking more in coping and managing, but Me I would too. love to hear more of what you mean about that. Well, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what I mean. What I mean is I think that if, 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 if we're going to stick to kind of the, kind of the, the cliche, which is that grief ultimately, you know, managing grief is about acceptance. I'm like, I think for me, it's elevating that part of it, even mm-hmm. into the other phases. Like I'm, a, I'm, I appreciate that I'm bargaining right now. I appreciate mm-hmm. that I'm trying anything I can mm-hmm. trying to do anything I can to make myself feel other than this. Like that's still acceptance, you know, mm-hmm. or I appreciate that I'm angry. And so I'm going to go hit the pillow or go to a rage room or I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to go sit at a bar and drown my sorrows for a minute. Like, I, I guess I'm just wondering about does, does awareness bring. That's what I'm hearing. Some level of like, um, soothing to this thing. And, and you know, yeah. for me, I, I've been really fortunate. I have, I do not have a lot of experiences of death in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just have not lost people. Um, our mutual friend, Laura, he, he, he recently counted up the number of people in his life that had died. And I think it was something like 78. No way. I mean, just from, from the beginning, I mean, just mm-hmm. tons Some of loss in that way. are just marked by loss. Yeah. Some, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, but I think, I think he has practice in grief. I think he's turned it into a skill, but I have a ton of grief that's not related to loss or death. Right. And I think the conversation I'm in most often in my office is how do I grieve that? I thought I was going to get this. And I got this instead. And it's very easy to go into a conversation about that being about betrayal. Mm -hmm. Like I thought I was getting the dream husband and I got this guy, other, this other guy instead, but I don't think it's always that or necessarily that I think it's radical acceptance. Well, yeah. I mean, we build our lives. We sort of speculate out and we go, okay, I think I know how it's going to go. And then it doesn't go that way. And am I allowed to have grief now? Mm. Because I didn't, nobody died. Right. Yes. I think grief, I think there's grief with any loss, loss of dreams, loss of plans, loss of something that you were really attached to. And, but we're talking a lot about this sort of awareness, acceptance and attachment, which kind of gets into Buddha mind, right? Of when I think about, you were saying grief as a skill. I, there was a period actually when I lost my dog, where I felt like I grieved well, Mm where I okay. was intentional about I want to hear it. about that. I was intentional about mm-hmm. it. Um, I was in so much pain and I, I was very aware and accepting of whatever was happening. So if I wanted to avoid it, I was at least aware that I was had this urge to avoid. And then I would sometimes challenge myself to just sit with it and allow these waves of pain to come over me that often took me over physically. And then we can get into even the science around mm-hmm. tears and crying and how interesting that is that you have this sort of release of oxytocin and, but crying actually doesn't serve really any other physical physiological purpose for, you know, the saline to come out of your eyes, but mm. you have, you know, your, your cortisol levels go down. You have this physiological release. It's just there. 
there's an interesting aspect to this idea of radical acceptance of the pain, tolerating the distress, not resisting it, Mm -hmm. but also even it's sort of like the idea with meditation, like none of it's wrong. You know, you get a thought Mm -hmm. in your head, you're trying to clear your head, but then you realize just being aware of that thought. And then the layer you add to that of I'm failing at meditation, all of that awareness Mm. is all it is. Mm. And I think with grief too, being aware of all, it's such a teaching instrument to just notice your resistance, your flailing, the, the emptiness, the aching and to go with it, to allow the tears to come over you, the sobbing, your body to literally get arched from the pain sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then Joanna Cacciatore, a psychologist, I really admire who wrote a book on the topic. I know. Wow. I know. And she's a beautiful person, but she lost a daughter and she talks about how she roamed the halls at night, like a caged animal Mm -hmm. because it was such an intolerable loss, Mm. intolerable. And then, and she describes grief almost like birthing contractions. Mm -hmm. And then she talks about expansion between the contractions. Mm. So you, you lean into that pain. If you allow the contraction to take place, it's almost like a whole body seizing. Yeah. Mm. But then you have these expansions after. When I was grieving well with my dog, I would carry that book with me, a bottle of water, a blanket. I'd feel the tears come up. I'd sob and sob. I'd let it happen. Mm -hmm. And I almost got to the point where I was like, okay, that was only four minutes. I can do four minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, fall asleep sitting up with tissues, like a baby. And then I, it would happen again. But Mm. each time there was that expansion after, and the expansion got longer and longer in between. And it was probably the most intentional I've ever been about grieving. uh, The most aware and it also passed that yucky feeling that we normally stifle down and we carry grief in our day to day, but we don't face it. Yeah. I didn't have that. Can we have that? Can we talk about that? Cause that's the thing when you were Zach, when you originally said like, is it a skill immediately? I thought of the skill of leaning into the hard places. I think that's a skill. Yeah. We are so, yeah. so good, especially as Americans of, recognizing that something is painful and then finding a way around it, finding a way to mask it, numb it, avoid it, whatever it might be. And then, and then applauding everyone, you know, good job, good job of like, um, you're happy. Yeah. Oh, way to, way to make that the best of that moment. And so I think grief is a real skill of saying this hurts, it's painful, and this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is how I'm supposed to feel right now. And I'm going to just sit Mm -hmm. in this moment and acknowledge that this is what's going on. I'm going to accept it and I'm going to feel it. I'm not going to avoid it. Mm -hmm. So all sorts of A words, Zach, if you want to write a chapter (laughs) on this one, the alliteration is solid. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's... (laughs) And I completely lost my thought, my train of thought. Darn it. Um, I think that, well, I keep circling around, like, how do you find a way to tap into feeling the feels and being intentional? And I I remember seeing something about like a, a grieving specialist or a grief group where literally all you do is you come into the room and someone's there to hold you and you're sobbing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was listening to you talk about birthing. And it it really made me think about the whole process when mm-hmm. I was giving birth was 
I have to keep myself calm and I have to accept what my body is willing and mm. able to do. And if I get to a place of, of doubting what my body is capable of doing when I'm birthing, it creates anxiety and anxiety is actually what's going to prevent that baby from being born. And so I need to keep myself oh, that's calm. Interesting. And so as you were mm. talking about birthing, I went, this is a perfect, perfect example of grief in that if you can accept that this is the purpose you are supposed to be grieving, there is a reason why you're doing it and you can sit in that pain and discomfort, mm -hmm. but also keep yourself calm and keep yourself, just keep reminding this is where, where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. It will allow your body to go through what it's supposed to do, which is birthing a baby or going through the grief that it's supposed to go through. Jo Dr. Cacciatore tells a story where she takes that to her current life. So she has other kids and she's talking about they're at an amusement park and she realizes, you know, it's saying you have to be this high to board the mm -hmm. ride. And she realizes her daughter would have been that high that year. Oh. Mm. I think she would have been about six. Right. And she talks about how she, she, well, she talks a lot about grief, not being something you recover from but being something you manage. And that goes to, I think, Laura, what you and I were thinking of as the, the skill, skill. Mm -hmm. of, of managing it, right. of mm -hmm. leaning in, knowing when to lean in, knowing what to expect and then how to manage it best. Mm -hmm. So she's standing in line and she's got her two kids with her and she starts crying immediately. She steps out of line with them, sits down and she just lets herself cry. And it's quick. I mean, really when Gunner died, I remember like I could time it. Just like a contraction, mm. just time it out. Mm -hmm. And I knew I could get through anything for a few minutes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So she says, her daughter says to her, like, mommy, do you not want to, um, you know, do we need to go home? Do we not need to go on the ride? And she actually said to them, no, I do want to go on the ride. I just needed to be sad because I missed your sister. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now I'm okay. And let's go on the ride. Yeah. I, okay. Um, my, my body doesn't like manage it. I don't want to manage it. I want to like, get rid I want to, it. It, no, I mean, sort of, but I read, I recently read this article by Amanda Knox. You know who that is? Mm -hmm. Amanda Knox mm -hmm. is this gal who mm -hmm. uh, was convicted of murder in Italy and it was wrongful conviction. And she spent a bunch of time in jail that, you know, is really problematic. And now she's home. And she wrote this article about that experience, about being in jail and being, um, you know, kind of, this is her life. She, she had no real expectation that she was going to get out because she'd been railroaded by the system. Mm. And she said, you know, the way that I came to terms with that was I, I, I understood almost immediately. And she calls it an epiphany that this wasn't me, my life getting taken away from me. This was my life. This wasn't me getting uh, uh, ripped out of my life that I planned. Like, no, this is my life. Here I am. I'm in this jail. This wow. is what I, and so you know, here's this woman who is grieving like in real time mm -hmm. about something that is, you know, really terrible. 
and kind of going, okay, this is what I have to do. And so I, I don't know if she would call it managing. I don't know if I would call that managing, but I think it's what I'm thinking about when it comes to, is this a skill? Like, is it a, can you learn? Cause a skill for me is something you can learn how to do something you can learn how to do and something you can learn how to perfect. Can you learn how to say, no, this, this is my life, which it kind of this sounds is all like there is. Yeah. This, this is what moment, it is. This is all there is. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't like my life should be this other thing where I have a dog right. or a daughter. My life should, mm -hmm. my life is, this is my life. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that, that when we can do that, there's something about it that feels a little bit less like managing and more like empowerment, I think. And I'm, I think you're right. This is kind of uh, bringing me right. into a lot of the grief that my couples are going through with COVID, post-COVID grief. And, right? and I won't even yeah. say post because a lot of the folks that are still grieving, it's not post-COVID. It's still, they're still right in the middle of it. But um, it's going back to what you said at the very beginning is the detachment from the outcome. The outcome was I had an idea of what 2021, 2022, 2023, whatever was going to look like. And maybe they're still fighting the idea that that was not what I had expected. That wasn't the job that I thought I was going to have. That's not how my kids were going to yeah. go to school. That's my not financial life should have gone yeah. like this. My kid, my kids development should have gone like this. Mm -hmm. My kids should have gone like this. totally. Yeah. Um, so now I have this question and Shannon, this is where I think you can actually make me smarter or make us smarter is okay. Well, what do you do like therapeutically, what do you do? This is the part for me, again, part of the conversation Laura and I having, because I was, I don't like to stretch and I don't like to lift weights in part because they both feel like they're just not enough ROI for the mm -hmm. moment, right? Like I, I'm not, I don't get to see the muscles right away. I don't get to feel, you know, I, I understand the importance of the work, but so I have this real strong bias for doing because mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want the, the waiting. So when you think clinically about how to, how to bring or invite or lead people through this, what do you, what do you do? What do you, what is your, what do you bring to the table there? I love that question. Uh, yeah. I mean, grief is interesting because it is so motivating in and of itself. Mm -hmm. It's one of the the rare human experiences where I don't have to worry that people are going to do their homework or not. It's so fucking miserable. Mm -hmm. If people are really in the thick of it, they will do anything yeah. to feel better, yeah. anything. Mm -hmm. And if I can give them the actual tools that will make them feel get better and, and I'll tell you what those are, they do it. Mm -hmm. So essentially with that, with, when somebody is going through profound loss and they're crying and they don't feel like themselves and they're having clinical depression symptoms, et cetera, I, the first thing I tell them is that I want them to cry whenever they have the urge. Mm -hmm. And we talk about what that's going to look like and the barriers to that, because if you're working a job or if you're just not used to crying people, I mean, it's really interesting how people say, well, I can't cry. You know, I'll be in the, at the desk and there are people around. We'll change their actual schedules so that they have time to cry. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some shared experiences. Uh, I was just talking with a client and I've grieved before and I've also been, you know, through a divorce. And we were talking about even joking how a song will come in on in a restaurant and you almost can't tolerate it mm -hmm. because it the tears come up and you're just trying to hang out with your friends. and You start crying at lunch. 
So I make sure my clients and I are prepared for all the potential times that might come up, almost like when you're working through addiction or you're identifying all the vulnerable moments, all the barriers. And what are we going to do when that barrier comes up, that barrier? And we just make exit routes. They go in the bathroom, they cry a little bit, they do their makeup differently so it doesn't drip all over their face and they have to worry about cleaning it up. We really (laughs) protective factors, make it possible to cry. And then I think when they lean into it more, they get more comfortable with it and realize, oh, yeah, that wasn't so bad. If I go in the bathroom, cry for, again, five minutes, I'm actually good for two hours, mm. like actually good. Whereas, the re- you know, before that, I would just spend the whole day in a haze. Mm. Can I you mentioned about crying earlier, and I just thought that was really interesting because I've never really thought about it. I think about the human body and, you know, how special each part of it is and why we have parts, what they do, the function of it. But did you say that when you cry, it releases oxytocin? Mm hmm. Yep. Similar to sex, orgasm. Yeah. And then I also was going to say holding a baby. Like if you look in your baby's eyes, mom's pupils dilate, baby's Mm. pupils dilate. You get this flood of oxytocin. There are so many interesting little physiological things that usually have to do with love, Mm -hmm. you know, connection, goodness in life. And crying is one of those things that gives us one of those natural oxytocin boosts. Wow. Okay, I have the opposite question, which is we're going to make room for all this crying, which is fine. I don't Mm -hmm. think that would necessarily be my modus operandi when it comes to grief. But what Mm -hmm. about the rage? What about the the wanting to hit things or the wanting to scream or the do Mm -hmm. do do we is it the same? Do we make room for that, too? Or is that a different strategy? Well, I'm curious about Mm -hmm. the rage. So if we're talking about. Okay. So be, can you be, give me more of an example? Well, I don't know. Like, uh, like, like my, my partner just had an affair and I'm, okay. I'm really sad about that. And I'm going to cry. Of course I'm going to cry because the song that's going to come on mm-hmm. or I'm going to drive past that bar that they used mm-hmm. to go to or something. But what about when I just want to be like, you know, like, is that, do mm-hmm. I need to make room for that too? Sure. Get you it know? out. Um, I mean, I, I remember screaming into a pillow, just screaming because the sobbing didn't feel like enough. It mm-hmm. didn't feel like it cleansed out the black tar that was in my gut. Yeah, I've done that. I I mean, I as we're saying that, it's an interesting question because I'm remembering some research on sort of the idea of punching pillows and whatnot. And uh, the findings of the study were that people were actually more agitated yeah. after mm. they did that. Yeah had more negative thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of uh, George Bach. Yeah. Having couples hit each other with these foam bats. And what they found right. out is like the, right. the, the hitting didn't actually, it wasn't a, uh, a cathartic experience for them. It actually just right. caused more, more stress mm. and irritability. Yeah, more agitation, mm-hmm. more adversarial type feelings. Yeah. Um, but I don't know in the context of grief how that would be. That's really interesting because I don't normally get enraged when I'm grieving. So I haven't explored mm. that the same way. Well, it is one of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's phases, anger. This is, this yeah, is what I'm. That's true. Um, no, but you know, the, <laughs> the whole industry built around um, like rage rooms, you know, oh, people yeah, can go in yeah. and kind of let it all out. And I sort of feel like I want to prescribe that sometimes, which is like, go, go put on your, your hazmat suit and take your baseball bat and go smash a bunch of stuff. And I see usually it, feel like. Okay. I feel like there's sadness underneath it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's where I was going with this is that, uh, okay, just for a second, I want you to go back and remember, oh man, what was the movie where it was, um, I got this. I know, I know what it is. You have no idea. You have no idea. 
I'm going to name the movie though. Go. Okay, you go. No, you're going to describe the movie. I'm going to tell you what it is. The movie with the emotions. It's uh, Good Will Hunting, okay? Okay. There's a therapist. There's a scene, right? And it's it's Robin Williams and uh, what's his name? I would have gotten it at therapist and Robin Williams. I would have said (laughs) Good Will Hunting. Just so you know. Who's the the main character? Matt Damon. Matt Damon, okay. His name is Will Hunting. Okay, okay, there we go. Will Hunting. Okay, so where I'm going with this is that often... We cannot access sadness, depression. We can't go to those emotions without first enacting something bigger. So when you said, I think there's sadness under there, like the rage piece is that in the movie, he like, there's a, there's a hitting, there's a, there's a moment where he's saying something over and over and over. I can't remember what it is. It's something, you know, like it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Okay. So powerful. And what you see is this anger that comes up, but what's underneath all of that. And so it's almost like a releasing sobbing, right? The sobbing Mm -hmm. that's underneath. So I do think if you're experiencing, if, if you're going (sighs) to rage, if you're going to anger, if you're going to whatever that is, unlock it, let it out just because there's something underneath for you to experience. And we can't often access that sadness until we have been able to unlock the rage first. Some people go Hmm. to sadness because like a skill, it's something that they're good at. They they're really accustomed and comfortable, but I think they know the anger iceberg. Yep. We, sometimes we just got to go with what's on top and just let it go. Hmm. Anyway, that's what came up for Until me. Until you get to the tears. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Until the shouting becomes choked up sobbing. I buy that part. Yeah. You buy that? Because I mean, we've seen this movie every time, which is the, you know, the, the, it's the wife and she's mad at the lover, the male or whatever. And she's like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And she's pounding his chest. Yes. And then she like collapses into the, I love you. I love you. And then they're hugging sort of like, that's always the climax mm-hmm. of this sort of mm-hmm. moment. So yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe it's, maybe you do have to kind of respect that that sadness is mm-hmm. there. The, the other piece that I would though, I want a little bit of insight into is we're, we're talking uh, about profound loss quite a bit. And I'm, what do you make of, or how do you, how do you direct people around just sort of the more subtle loss, the more subtle grief, or maybe the one that they don't quite, mm-hmm. they don't get to label with something dramatic, like an affair or a death or a, you know, like it's just more like, I just, this isn't what I signed up for. That's super dramatic. Trying to think of an example. I do great when I have an example. Okay, I'm going to give you an example because I see this uh, and it's a really tough one. It For Mm -hmm. a lot of moms, they have not had the opportunity to grieve the loss of just their independence and being something other than a mom. Because, you know, you become a mom and then you're you're supposed to be excited about taking care of all these other kids. But there's also this part of you that you're grieving. Zach and I were talking about the evolution of acceptance of your body and what your body means for you. And there is this grief that I don't think we take time to grieve, which is the loss of our body as an independent being that was something other than these they went from fun bags to milk bags, right? Like, like there's mm-hmm. this grief that occurs, but it's mm-hmm. more than just what your body represents. It's who you represent to the world and to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a piece of grief that we never really sit and acknowledge. The loss of identity totally. or the grief of even a, an intentional choice to not have children mm-hmm. and the grief, you know, I think if you, what is the therapy where there are the different selves IFS. What does IFS stand for? Internal family systems. 
Oh, no, no, no. Um, I'm thinking. It's lifespan integration. S- is that similar. it? They're it's all that. very similar. It sounds, I, I think you're trying to describe lifespan integration, but. Um, okay. But yeah, you're sort, sort of making of like, peace with your, with your past right. self, a little bit of repair. Like what yeah. would this, this part of yourself. Oh, no, no, no. This is, no, this is, um, I want to say like masks or something, but anyway, mm. that's beside the point. Yeah. But essentially, <laughs> we if just you, make it, if we, you just decided, we just make stuff up. And so right. see if we can. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> see if somebody one will those, buy it. One of those things where you have the client talk to the, yeah. the mom in them. Yeah. But, but or we just assign so letters <laughs> to it. We're just like, it's like, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Do you do that? Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm totally into MSQ. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're a mom, you would, you would literally imagine what the part of you who's not a mom looks like, dresses like. Mm. She's sitting right there on the couch across from you. What does this woman look like? What is she wearing that day? Mm-hmm. What does she want you to know about herself? Or if you've decided not to have children, what is the part of you that wanted to have children mm. look like, dress like, say? And what you usually end up mm. finding is that you've almost put that part of you in a box like right it becomes black and white. Like, Oh, I don't want to be that lame mom who just like is wearing a flannel shirt and has, you know, her roots growing out and is sad and passive, but then you actually create that person Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to kind of have a mental conversation with them. What do they have to say? And you realize she says something like, I actually like, I matter too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not just some pathetic loser. Mm-hmm. I matter too. And I am sort of, I'm a part of you and mm. don't discard me completely. And it's this weird, I mean, it's going to sound so woo woo, but I think it's this really beautiful integration of yourself rather than yeah. just pushing something aside and thinking it's worthless. Yeah. No, I don't think it sounds woo woo. And I think it speaks yeah. to the part that what, what remains like right, right now, the, all the rage is everything, everywhere, all at once, this movie, you know, and she's got 45 different manifestations of herself. But what remains, what mm-hmm. remains is sort of the core, particularly for her husband. It's not, a, it's not, um, it's not a mystery for the husband. For what remains for him is kindness. Like it doesn't matter what, what I, what outfit I have on or what I say or where I live or what path my life's taking. The, the core of me is still kindness. And I wonder if grief is something about just making mm-hmm. peace with the sort of the core of you independent of the circumstances around you, whether you're in jail or whether you're a mom or whether you're not a mom or, you know, like those things. I don't, I don't right. know, dude. I, I really just want to figure the out how to the observer. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I want, I don't want people to not suffer because life is, you know, life invites suffering. It's just kind of the deal. It's part of what happens, but I do want them to, and I want to be able mm-hmm. to sort of go, but there's this other thing that remains, which is me, I'm here. This is me. This is my stuff. And this is what I got. And this is what I have to offer. And that's still worthy. You know, I'm going to share something. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, what you're describing, sort of, if we strip away the ego or the identity or all of these layers, we, these ways we see ourselves, who are we, what's left, what can we hold on to in times of great suffering? My dad was larger than life. He was chief of staff at Hogue Hospital. He's gregarious, charming, absolutely brilliant, good looking, altruistic, um, really phenomenal guy. 
and he has Alzheimer's right now. He just mm. got diagnosed. We were recently on a family trip together and I, I was seeing the progression of it and I cried myself to sleep one night and that's mm. a form of grief, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this loss of my dad's identity and also while I was crying myself to sleep, I was thinking this is absolutely not what he would want. You know, he was mm. an arrogant prick and he was dry and funny. And he we would have probably made a joke about how we would make sure that he could off himself before it got to this, mm-hmm. you know, if he were in his right mind. Um, and I was thinking, I can't help him do that. The one thing I know he would have wanted. However. Uh, over the last month, he and I have been spending a lot of time together. And there's that book, Still Alice, about the woman who had early onset Alzheimer's. Wow. And she was mm. this linguistics professor. She talks about she feels like she's bottoming out, like everything she worked her entire life for is bottoming out. But kind of at the end of the book, even with all of her faculties compromised, she says, you know, something to her daughter about it being about love, something her daughter is reading to her. Hmm. She still understands that. What I'm seeing with my dad is, you know, this guy was larger than life. He'd write these freaking manuscripts and he can hardly find words now. Mm-hmm. He is the happiest I've ever seen him. Hmm. That's what I'm realizing. He's way happier these days hanging out with me and my sisters. Hmm. He can't necessarily share it. He gets confused, but nothing thrills him more than me saying, you know, having him over him, finding out he's going to get to come over to the house. We're going to all have dinner together. That's a lot less. I don't, I don't know. All, all that ego got stripped away. Hmm. All those things that he identified himself as hmm. in my mind, I was thinking that's the worst thing ever Yeah, because I think it makes me afraid. And you guys are in the same boat. We've worked so hard. Our cognition is our our work, our life. And he's lost that. Yeah. But he's still in there. Mm-hmm. He's still in there. And yeah. I don't know. It's really interesting to see somebody's ego get completely stripped away. And the beauty that remains, even when it's what I thought would be the worst thing ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I definitely, Zach knows this because we, and even on the podcast, like we kind of went through this process of the last three years, I moved to Bend to be with a parent who has Alzheimer's, who has since passed. So gone through the process of that and a hundred percent was in that happy phase. And it was the just sort of happy go lucky, just present. There was a presence Mm -hmm. about, about him, you know, and it just, Mm -hmm. it was, I, I a hundred percent, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about how (laughs) Gary, my father-in-law was in that process. And it was kind of like a stripping away of the ego. It was just, Mm -hmm. you know, being there and like picking your nose and nobody cares. Like just, (laughs) 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 you don't like there's uh, yeah. So it's, um, Gosh, man, this is an interesting topic. And I would, I would love to continue to talk about grief because it's, I've written down a couple of things. Still Alice is a book that you mentioned. Um, Is this, this is a nonfiction. Is it a a biography? Well, okay. I have to be honest. I haven't read the book. I said book because I know it was a book. I've only watched the movie. (laughs) Oh, it's a movie. (laughs) I love that. It's with Julianne Moore. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I think it's a book. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But um, at least it's a movie if people are interested in watching it. (laughs) But Julianne Moore is incredible in it. Alec Baldwin's in it. Cool. Um, But Julianne Moore is incredible in it, especially because, you know, she's this Columbia professor and she talks about linguistics and cognition. She knows exactly what's happening it's it's devastating. It's your worst nightmare as yeah. somebody who uses their brain as their life's work. Yeah. And uh, and she talks about that feeling of it just bottoming out. And mm. then in the end, you know, she's hardly verbal mm. and nodding off. But her daughter's reading to her. And at one point she kind of comes to and answers a question for her daughter, barely. And uh it's still her. Mm-hmm. She understands that it's about love and they kind of heads together. Mm. And it doesn't mean it's not a mess and that Alzheimer's isn't the worst, shittiest thing yeah. in general yeah. and that there's agitation and fear and um, it's degrading. But she's still her mm-hmm. when we're talking about what that essence is that makes us us. She's in there. Mm. Ugh, it right. is the nastiest, worst thing. Um, I'm glad we figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Now we've got grief all figured out. We've let I'm our listeners we know. Grief we've on solved this, uh, it. This half hour. Yeah. So. With all of our brilliant minds combined, we still are unclear on as to what Nancy Young's study is. <laughs> Her expertise. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I have to land this plane because I have a client in two minutes. Okay. Um, Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I would love, I was telling Zach, I mean, your, your media kit is like extensive. This is off the record. Yeah, it's pretty long. Um, but <laughs> I have, I would Google. love to talk about narcissism and, uh, gas. Basically, will you come back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Will you come back? Yeah. I love hanging out with you guys. <laughs> I really do. It's awesome. so fun. If we want to find you in the meantime. What do we do that? We know we can check out the morning news in the Los Angeles I was going to say, text area. me. Text yeah. you? <laughs> no, I no, mean, like if people want to. Yeah, people want to find you. <laughs> just te- we'll give your number on air. They can text yeah. you whenever they want. <laughs> just call her on Sunday night. Um, um, they go to the website, currypsychology.com. Oh, that's easy. There you go. Currypsychology.com. Love that. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for coming on. We'll have you on again because I have lots guys. of other questions for you. I would love that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. We always love having Shannon on. This is probably the third or fourth time that we have met with her um, in various capacities, and she is always a wealth of knowledge. If you want to check out Shannon Curry, go to currypsychology.com. You can just Google her. She's nice to look at as well if you're interested in that. Thanks so much for all of your time and attention, making your relationship better today than it was yesterday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.